guys, go back to 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and we'll uh, read um, that uh, 15th verse, I believe. And we started um, doing a little study we call the Bible study pyramid, but it's, we, we entitled this How to Apply God's Word. Uh, how to Apply God's Word. Because all of this that we do as a church on Sundays and Wednesdays and marriage fellowships and uh, Real for Christ youth meetings, all this is for naught, it's for nothing, it's vain if we don't get to the point to where we can take what we're learning and begin to apply it in the various areas of our lives. The word of God should be uh, should have a preeminent place in our marriages. The word of God should have a preeminent place in how we handle our finances. The word of God should have a preeminent place in how we work in our places of employment. The word of God should have a preeminent place in how we deal with our children, our relatives, our friends. The word of God should have a preeminent place in how we run our households. And again, the word preeminent means having first place and first authority. You will know that the word of God has first place and first authority when you consult that word before you make your decision. If you routinely make decisions without consultation in God's word, and I'm not just talking about just a major decision in life, but I'm talking about stuff that we do on a daily basis. If you refuse to or if you don't even think about what does God say about this issue and how would God want me to handle it before I make that decision, then the word of God does not have a preeminent place in our hearts and in our lives. And so we want to get to that point to where uh, whenever we get ready to make a decision or a choice, we run it through the prism of God's word. Amen. And that's when we know that the word of God is driving. And when we run it through that prism of God's word, in other words, we go and check out, does this line up with God's principle, this direct command? Or if it, if it does, then I'm, I'm free to do it. If it doesn't, I got to push back and go a different route. Amen? And if we, if we do that, guys, I promise you we'll experience victory in our lives. Amen? So 2 Timothy, uh, let's look at chapter number 2, uh, and we'll start at verse number... Glory to God. Verse number 14. Hallelujah. Verse number 14. The text says this, of these things, put them in remembrance. Now, again, guys, who is talking here? Who's writing this letter? The Apostle Paul is. Who is he writing it to? Who? Timothy. What was their relationship? Okay, Timothy was Paul's son in the ministry. Timothy, Timothy was uh, Paul's protege. Paul was his mentor when it came to spiritual things. And what we're talking about, how to apply God's word, just those questions that I'm asking you. Every time you open your Bible, you need to begin to ask these types of questions. I told you on last week that uh, uh, when it comes to studying God's word, you got to become a detective. When it comes to studying God's word, you need to be nosy. Some of y'all are nosy on a whole lot of other stuff, but you're not nosy when it comes to the word of God. Word of, when, when it comes to the word of God, you got to start asking all sorts of questions. Do y'all know nosy people? Have you been nosy? All of us got a little nosy in this, don't we? All of us want to know a little something about something, right? And all it takes is, did you hear about? No, I didn't. Uh, what? 
And if that person stopped right there, you'd be ready to choke. Give me, give it to me, tell me, tell me. So when it comes to the word of God, I want you to get so nosy and I want you to, I want you to be so in tune to trying to find out what God says and, 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 and understanding God's business. I want you to come to me after service and say, pastor, you preached that sermon, but what about this? Pastor, you preached that word, but how does that apply in the situation that I'm dealing with right now? Give me some wisdom from the word. We got to become knows. We got to become detectives when it comes to the text. So here we go. Paul says this. He's writing to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy says, of these things, put them in remembrance. What was Timothy's position? He was a pastor. Okay. He was a young pastor who was somewhat shy in nature uh, based on everything that we read and study. Timothy was not uh, like the apostle Paul. He didn't have Paul's uh, uh, same diligence and vigor. And so Paul had to encourage young Timothy to don't let anybody look down on you or despise you because you're young, but be an example of the believers in your youth, in, in your word and in, in what you do on a daily basis. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. Verse 15, watch this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth, 16 and 17, it says this, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, 17, and their word will eat as doth the canker of whom is Hymenus and Philetus. Now, again, we talked about Hymenus and Philetus a little bit on last week, and how these guys were troublemakers in the church. How many of y'all know churches do have troublemakers, right? Just make sure you're not the troublemaker. Amen. Uh, there was, a, and I think it was in Third John, uh, one prominent troublemaker was a guy named Diotrephes. Diotrephes, I think it was in Third John, he wielded great power and influence in the church. Scripture text tells us that Diotrephes didn't like a man, uh, the apostles coming through, and and he 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 wouldn't do what's right, and then he prevented other people from doing what was right. I've always said this here. It's one thing if you ain't going to do right, but don't influence somebody else to do wrong along with you. Amen? So now let's get back to what we talked about. Last week we went, we began talking about the Bible study pyramid to help us get wisdom and understanding about what the scripture is teaching, right? Is that correct? We said that as we go up the Bible study pyramid, there are steps to take us up to that, to that apex where we can begin to see clearly what the scripture is saying. All right? Those steps took us upward. We talked about uh, first of all, uh, the, the, uh, when you go to a passage of scripture, you look at find out who's in that text. Who are the people in that particular passage of scripture? We talked about people, correct? Second thing that we said, if you don't have one of these, uh, raise your hand. I think us just got some of the last week's uh, uh, handouts for you. You look at the people. The people include all the characters in the passage, those who are actively taking part and those who are mentioned. So look at the people. Find out who's in the text. Second thing we said was what? Find out what? The place, okay? This step helps put the passage in its original setting, the historical and the cultural context. That is crucially important, amen? Because if you don't understand, amen, where that was happening, uh, we, we, we gave the example of Corinth. If you understand Corinth and what was happening there, if you don't understand what was happening in Rome when Paul wrote to the saints at Rome, then, then it takes away your ability to understand, amen, the truth of the scripture that you're reading. Amen? So look at the place. The place, uh, uh, we said, we, a question we got asked, what's the setting of this passage? What are the significant details 
in the history, culture, and the geography of that place, and what are the similarities to my world, to our world, okay? So place, place. The third thing we say, we got to look at what? The plot, right? Amen? The third, thir- the third step is the plot. What is the storyline? What is happening there? Okay, the plot. Number four, we said what? The point, okay? The point, and to determine the point, we, we can ask, what was the intended message for the original audience? What did the people in the passage learn? What did God want them to do? And what was God's solution to the problem? That's the, that's the point that we're trying to get to. And the fifth thing we said was what? The principles, okay? The principles. After finding the point, the meaning for the original audience, I, the next step is to determine what transferable principles are embedded in that passage. Because ultimately what we're getting to is, uh, is to try to see how do we apply this to our individual lives. You know, last week we, did, we briefly went uh, over and looked at Acts, the 27th chapter, and we did, we, we found the people, the place, the plot, the point, and the principles that were in that passage. And now, so we climb that steps to get to the apex of that, of that Bible study pyramid, and we're looking out and we, we, we're comprehending what it says. Because remember, I told you, uh, if you look at it in, in, in broad terms, when it comes to Bible study, we're going to read and we try to comprehend and we want to apply, right? Read, comprehend, and apply. But to get to that, you know, when we go up this, this side of the pyramid, which we did on last week, we up, we're in that, up, up, in that, up at the top where we can look out and we can see and we can comprehend what that passage is saying. Now, we're going to come down this side of the pyramid to get to the point of how we apply that passage in our everyday life. Because ultimately, that's where we want to get to. Go with me to first, uh, now James chapter number one. James chapter number one. And we'll start reading at verse number 19. James chapter one, verse number 19. Let's go to, to the NLT, New Living Translation. James chapter one, verse number 19. How to apply God's word. How to apply it. Because I need to be able to see the lesson text that we talk about on Sundays and Wednesdays being lived out in our lives. On Sunday, we shared uh, with you about uh, relationships, and we started talking about knowing yourself and how critically important it is uh, that you know yourself and, and have uh, a semblance of self-awareness. You know, the, the, when we talk about self-awareness, that means that you, you are aware of how you really are. And you'll be surprised at the number of people who are not self-aware. They think they're somewhere when they're really not. I told you before, if, if, if you think that you are, you bless people when you sing, but nobody ever asks you to sing a song. <laughs> you ought to be self-aware enough to know that I don't ever get asked to, to sing at the funeral. I don't ever get asked to, sing, to be on a, sing a solo at the musical. I'm never asked to come sing the national anthem at the school event. Somewhere along in, in your mind, it ought to click. Maybe I don't sing as well as I think I do. I may do okay for bathrooms or maybe for, you know, for a little part in the lead in that song. But, but be self-aware. Understand your strengths. And understand your weaknesses and understanding where you're gifted and understand where you're not gifted. And I promise you, it'll save you a whole lot of 
uh, of turmoil on the inside when you when you actually begin to do that. Okay, so become self-aware. Understand your strengths and your weaknesses. Amen. Y'all are y'all with? Now watch what James says, you guys. Understand this. Can you read with me? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Real, real simple. The, we're going to come back a little bit later on and, 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 and put some of these principles on this passage. This, this is one that really is real. This one you can get to the heart of the matter real quick. Understand this, my dear brothers. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You'd have to pay somebody to misunderstand that, wouldn't you? Come on, next verse. Verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your soul. Right? He's talking to believers here, guys. Why in the world do you think he went to tell believers to get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives? Because there was some filth and evil in the lives of believers. There's some things that were going on in the lives of the believers that, that was not God honoring. And then he said, let the word of God cut that stuff out of you. All right. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word. Accept the word. Accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. 22. Watch this. But don't just listen to God's word. This is what this whole message is about. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Now listen. Hear hear me carefully. Guys, I don't want us to be just fooling ourselves. I don't want you to be coming here on Sundays and Wednesdays fooling yourself. Thinking that you're pleasing God and thinking that you're on the path uh, to, to, to... to be able to, to appropriately and, and, and in a God-honoring way reach people with the gospel and get them saved. If you're not, if you're not doing this word, you're, not, you're fooling yourself. And all of us are subject to self-deception because all of us can think that we're someplace that we're not. I've been there before, but I thought I, I, thought I had that, that principle down until it re- I really got pressed and pressure, and I find out that I failed miserably. Amen? Am I the only one here who thought they had it? Am I the only one here who, they thought, who thought they had, you know, uh, pray for those who despitefully use you down real good? And then when somebody despitefully use you, mess, you know, mess with your head, mess with your heart, did you find yourself praying for them? Or did you find yourself really kind of hoping something kind of, you know, You wouldn't say it out loud, but on the inside, on the inside, you thought, man, I kind of wish something would happen to them. Oh, don't y'all look at me like that. I am talking about that person who hurt you deeply. And you were still, here's, here's the kicking part about it. You're still in church every Sunday. You were in here lifting up holding hands. But you wanted something to happen to them because they hurt you badly. Right? But say, thank God. That I got delivered. If you really got delivered. You ain't still holding that thing from 15 years ago, are you? So thank God for delivering. So, so, so guys, sometimes we think we're at a place when we're, when we're, we're really not. And I, I, here's what I, I, I would tell you. 
you don't really know that you got this stuff and that word that deals with that particular issue is going to be going to take first place until it is tested. Because I can think I have it until I'm tested. And when I'm tested, then that's when I'm going to I'm going to really see if I got that principle down and I'm willing to let that word have a preeminent place in my heart and my life. Okay, y'all with me? All right, so so he says here, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Now, again, we're at the top of the pyramid. We climb the steps to the top. We're observing. We're comprehending what the word says. We know the people. Come on. We know the place. We know the plot. We know the point. We know the principles. So now, Leroy, we got to get to the point to where we come back down the pyramid to the point to where we can apply it. We got to come back down from the top. You got to come down from your spiritual high and start living this stuff on a day-to-day basis. How to apply God's word. So again, getting that understanding is, is, is crucial for us. Okay. So look at your outline. Uh, again, we said Bible study must be more than reading and even more than interpretation. Climbing up the pyramid is only half the process. We must come down. We must come back to earth to, to application in real life. That's what we want to get to. Okay. So, again, so, so the next on, on, the, on the step down, we got present. The next step down, the step down, step number six, we had five steps up. We're going to have five, uh, nine coming down. Not nine. We're going to have four coming down. Okay. For a total of nine. I, th- I think my math is right. So, so the present, the first step on the downward side of this pyramid is present. In other words, this step expands the areas of application for the point and the principles that we, that we extracted from the passage that we are studying. Okay. So uh, when you get to this phase, guys, a different kind of thinking is required because we are expanding possibilities and adding our lives to the principles. And so here we describe the significant implication of these timeless truths for our life at home, at, at school, at our place of work, at church and in our neighborhood. So to bring a biblical principle into the present we can ask these questions. Watch this. What does this principle mean for my society and culture today? So, so say, for instance, when you read in the passage where it says slaves obey your masters, how many of y'all got offended when you first read that in the KJV? I ain't nobody slave. Well, <laughs> understanding this, indentured servitude was a part of the culture and society at the time that the Bible was written. Okay, so if we're going to bring that into our present day culture, just X out slave and put employee. Right. And and, and X out master and put a business owner or manager. Can I get a witness? So what I'm doing now is I'm bringing that text. I know what it said in the original culture text, but I got to bring it to my present day illustration so I can I can begin to apply them. So. So, President, okay, what does this principle mean for my society and culture today? And how is this relevant? And what back then is similar to today? How can I make the timeless truth timely? Okay? How can I bring that into my present day uh, situation where I can begin to apply that? Okay? All right. So, the present step brings the truth into our context, into today's world, into the here and the now. This is where we try to determine what in our society and culture might be similar to, let's say, for instance, washing feet. All right. 
or eating meat offered to idols. Now we know that that we don't have a problem with or we don't discuss or we don't have uh, disagreements in our church about eating meat that has been offered to idols, do we? Do we? I mean, I mean, you, you're not having a debate or discussion about that, right? But when Paul wrote in Romans uh, and other passages, as he was dealing with the church, because w- w- when the church initially became an entity in the earth realm, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you had Jew and you had Gentile coming together into this new institution that's called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you had different people who came from different backgrounds coming together into this new institution called the church. So how many of y'all know that when you have different people coming from different backgrounds, they bring some of their background with them? What what, what did I just tell y'all Sunday? We, We bring our background, we bring some of our culture with us. Even our food culture, right? How many of y'all grew up on greens and cornbread? Fried chicken? Huh? Sweet potatoes or yams? Candy yams? (laughs) How many of y'all grew up with hamburgers? Your mama didn't learn how to cook, so y'all ate out all the time. You came with hamburgers and spaghetti. Nobody wants to raise a hand. All right. So, So just like you bring... You bring your, 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 your appetite, your food appetite into your new life because you don't just stop loving greens when you get born again, do you? Right? But what if, what if, what if the people from this culture over here thought that eating greens was sin? And now they into the body of Christ too, right? Remember, the Jews who came out of Judaism had certain dietary restrictions that they were, they, that they, that they grew up all their life, amen, being taught that that was wrong. Right? And then, particularly, they were being taught that it was wrong to eat meat it, that you buy out of the marketplace, meat that had been, that had been set aside to be offered as a sacrifice to these idol gods. They didn't use all the meat, and that, which, which was not used, they took it to the marketplace and they sold it. So you had these people coming together into the church. Gentiles didn't think anything was wrong with it. Jews, because coming out of Judaism, thought it was a sin. So we got we to gotta do something with that issue there because that issue was going to tear the church apart. And Paul dealt with that issue. And Paul told the, the mature saints, the one who had grown in their faith, he told them, now listen, listen, you can eat whatever you want to eat. And you got freedom under Christ Jesus. But, but what, what, what I'll tell you is don't use your liberty, amen, to cause another brother to stumble or fall. So that's how he dealt with that issue. So he came to the church. So I, I got I to understand the context of the scripture and how it applies to us today. So we don't have meat that have been offered in idols. But one of the things that we used to uh, have take place uh, in a lot of our churches, even as I was growing up, not so much today. But how many of y'all grew up uh, in, in, in church where you did not dare wear pants to church, ladies? Someone was telling me about a, 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 a particular church where they had a funeral and the co-workers, uh, you know, wanted to come to the funeral. And I think the person may have worked at the hospital and they came in their scrubs. And, and, and the pastor, uh, because they were so beholden to this, this, this tradition of women not wearing pants, wouldn't allow some of the co-workers to come in and pay their last respect to their dead co-worker because they had pants on. True story. Now, you think about that for a second, all right? 
Is your righteousness tied to you wearing pants or wearing a dress? And then the scripture reference that they would run to was the one that says a woman should not wear that which pertained to a man. But if you take that in context, and I've taught this before, if you take that in context and understand what that scripture was dealing with, it had nothing to do with the dress code. It had everything to do with the fact that, that under some of that pagan worship that was going on, you had women who were strapping on a, 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 a fake male's sex organ and going into these temple and having uh, sexual relations. Amen. It's a part of the idol worship. A woman was wearing that which would pertain it to a man. That's what it dealt with. You follow me? So, 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 you know, and even still today, there are some churches who, 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 who don't think it's culture for women to wear pants. Now, guys, listen, y'all, y'all know how we teach this. And you know what Paul says? If, if, if the weaker brother has, I mean, the stronger brother has to sort of bear that infirmity of that weaker brother when that weaker brother doesn't know any better. Or if that's their conviction. Right. Well, what do we say? When we go to a church, the first thing we ask, I ask the pastor, is, is it okay for women to wear pants? If they say no, then what do we do? We throw that dress on, lady. Spoke that thing. Walk on up in there with your dress on, and we don't go up in there looking all like, like well, we know better, and y'all are less than us. No, no, no. We, we, we're not going to offend them. Amen? Because we're going there to be a blessing. You follow me? So we deal with those kind of things in the church today. So what, what do we got to do? We got to bring that context of that passage into our present day situation. Okay, the the, the present steps. This step brings the truth into our context, into today's world, into the here and the now. Okay, now go, go back to James one and nineteen with me, right quick. <laughs> in James one and nineteen, the point and the principle are simple and straightforward here. Okay, Christians should listen much, speak little, and not become angry. Uh, be slow to get angry. How many of y'all believe anger is a sin? Okay, anger. It, you know, anger just on the, just saying if you if you got mad about something that was sin, that's that's not accurate. Because Jesus got angry. You remember when he chased those money changers out of the temple? There is such thing as known as righteous indignation. In other words. I, I, I ought to get angry at sin and unrighteousness. All right. But that anger should not lead me to sin. Be ye angry and what? Sin not. The Bible would never say be ye angry if it was a sin to be angry. Amen. But it's what you do when anger comes. That's going to determine whether or not it's righteous indignation or you, you off, the, off the rails, you off the chain. You got if you start cussing, you off the chain. If you pick up something to hit somebody, you off the chain. If if you if you, you do anything to try to get back at the other person, that's 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 not righteous indignation. That's that's sinful anger. Be ye angry and sin not. Okay, don't give place to the devil when when anger comes. Okay, how many of y'all have given place to the devil before? Come on, tell the truth. So, so let's do a little exercise right quick. Okay, we, we're at James 1, 19. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I want y'all to help me with this right quick, okay? Will y'all work with me? Let's, 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 let's bring this truth into the present. That's what we're trying to do in this step. Bring this truth into the present. 
Okay, think about the possible implications of this truth right here. Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Let's look at the possible implications for our home, school, work, church, neighborhood, and the world. Let's take the home first. Can you, I want y'all to help me. So, okay, how can this, how can this principle apply in our home when it says uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get, ra- slow to get angry? How can it apply to a home? Okay, somebody at home is speaking, listening. So parents, let's say parents should, should take time to listen to their children, right? And children ought to listen to their parents, right? Uh, what else? And husband and wife, okay? You know, take time to be, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And we know we struggle with that sometimes, don't we? husband and wife struggle with that sometimes, especially when you when there's a point that you want to make and you think the other person is, is off base. How many of you stop the other person from talking if, before they finish their... <laughs> yeah. I see some of y'all saying, oh, mm-hmm, yeah. Alright, so, so, right, so, so here parents, take time to see their children, right? Parents should take time to listen to their children. And I hear some of y'all saying, well, children aren't to be listened to. They need to to listen. Well, now, parents, let me ask you this. How are you going to really know what they're thinking if you never take time to hear what they're thinking? Even when it comes to, say, for instance, we're, you know, uh, if you're sitting down with a child, uh, a teenager in particular, because teenagers will go into those holes and they won't talk to you about anything. And you think everything all right because they, they pretend like everything is all right. But you, you, you need to sit down and, and, and just listen to them and ask them some, some, some leading questions, not just yes or no questions. Because the average teenager, you ask them, well, man, how's your day going? All right. Ain't nothing ever wrong, is it? All right. But, but get, get to the point to where you, you have a listening ear. So they know they can come and tell you what's going on because you won't know what's going on inside of them unless you sit down and listen to them. Even five and six year olds, seven year olds, listen to them. I mean, sometimes you know their little brain can't process everything just right, but you need to know the way they're thinking about stuff. So listen to them, hear them out, okay? Because you can help guide them. So parents should take time to listen to the children and children and children to parents and. Uh, and, and, and husband and wives and on down the line and avoid becoming angry and abusing kids or, or uh, spouses. Okay, right? That's, that's, that's one application. Is there another application that we can bring to the present here? What about, what about at school? Slow to get angry? That, that applies at school. How about at work? Same principle. Supervisors should not flounce into a rage with their subordinates. If you manage people, that don't give you a right to be cruel to people. Be professional. Amen? Uh, uh, and, and, and a good manager, a good business owner will listen to those folks who are on the front line because oftentimes people on the front line are knowing what's going on before you in the office know what's going on. So that listening thing goes both ways. So if I'm looking at a passage of scripture, I want to be, I got to bring it into the present. What about at church? How about members should not react emotionally uh, to issues and and, and pop off and just 
you know, all of a sudden because you, 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 you didn't agree with something, then now it's a big turmoil. It's amazing to me how when it comes to church life, we, we if we're not careful, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll begin to look at others as if they are less than we are. Or we'll begin to look at others as if they're all wrong and we're all right. Okay, so the same principle applies there. Members should not react emotionally to others. We need to listen. Um, and, and, and when it comes to, um, you know, uh, you know, teachers and students, you know, listening and, and, and giving out information is critically important. So those, those, those you're exactly right. Those principles, we have to bring it to the present day uh, when it comes to uh, how we respond. What about in our neighborhood? Same thing, right? Uh, how many of y'all have had issues of beef with your neighbors before? Anybody? Anybody, anybody had beef with your neighbors? You know, nowadays, it's, it may be not as much of an issue because nowadays, how many of y'all live in neighborhoods where you, you, you may know one or two neighbors and that's about it? Yeah, see, some of y'all, if, if something would have happened to you, nobody would know except that a bunch of cars at your house and somebody don't pass away, but they wouldn't even know who stayed there. Unlike when many of us grew up, Everybody on the street knew everybody, right? And how many of y'all grew up in the age where Miss Jones down the street could whip your butt if you got out of line when you were playing in our yard? And then Miss Jones would tell your mama and your daddy, and you would get a whipping when you got home from your mama and your daddy. Try that today. People are so, I mean, you know... It is, it is so ridiculous how, how vain we've become. And so, so, so I'm going to tell you something. Uh, uh, even in our neighborhood, we've got to let this principle apply. And, and of course, in, court, in the world, we, gotta, we shouldn't become uh, you know, so uh, you know, easily angered about the stuff that's going on in, in, you know, in, our, in our world to the point to where we get into rage. We ought to, we ought to be uh, uh, angry about injustice. Amen. But handle it the right way. It it always amazed me. How is it that when there was there was injustice took place in one area, why is it that in a lot of our community we go and burn up the whole community? Riot. Go steal stuff out the store and think, okay, that's somehow it's okay with God because somebody did something bad. How many of y'all remember back uh during the, uh when Rodney King uh uh situation happened and then I think the the, the policeman got off, right? And then when they got off, what happened? Right, just, just tore, tore a whole neighborhood up. Just beat up the whole neighborhood, right? And that, 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 that's not right. And we shouldn't respond that way, okay? Learn how to be biblical at all times, okay? So we got to bring it to our present situation, okay? And so uh, the meaning of the, while the meaning for the original audience and the principles may be clear and evident in, in, in a verse like, like we just read, the implications for the present uh, can, can have various applications, especially if you get into other scripture references. Okay, So this step here is helpful because you, you'll find more areas where a principle will apply to your own life if you first take a few minutes to consider the implications, the implication in all areas of life. Okay, That's a general application. Then we want to have a personal application Okay, in this process. A biblical truth or insight will not make a difference in our lives unless we take it personally. We can read this all day long, but you got to start thinking, in my life personally, how often do I violate this? And who are the people in my life 
that push my button to the point to where I'm not quick to listen and I'm not slow to speak and I'm not slow to get angry. Who in my life I'm always getting into it with? We got to make it personal. Okay? Otherwise, all we're doing is reading this and, it, and we, we know what it says, but we're not thinking about how it applies in our individual lives. Okay? Are y'all with me? Gaining the insight is not enough. We must also think, pray, and plan to put it into practice. So right now, as you're sitting there thinking, who do I interface with? I got to make sure I keep this at the forefront of my mind. And oftentimes, it's somebody you're living with. In a lot of cases, oftentimes, it's somebody who you're working with. Huh? You're seeing them all the time. Uh, somebody you're working with. Someone who you live next door to. Okay? So let's go to this. this the seventh step as we come down the pyramid. So we said uh, we got to bring it to the present, right? Bring that scripture text to the present. Parallels, okay? Parallels. Whoa, the seventh step is parallels. We're coming down. Uh, the personalizing process begins with parallels. In other words, identifying personal application areas. This step helps us to examine all areas of our lives to see how the truth applies in every one of those areas, not just one. Okay, Um, this step is similar to the present, except that it is very personal, addressing specific life situation, specific fears, specific hopes and specific relationships. Because, guys, it's too easy to read the Bible and generalize it and talk about what we need to do instead of what I need to do. It's too easy to talk about how the word applies to people, but we don't bring it to where it's hidden our individual situation. Okay. So again, to find the parallels, we can ask these questions. What does this truth mean for me? Where, where are my areas of need, conviction and opportunity And where in my life might this truth possibly apply? Okay? Where might it possibly apply? Now, sometimes the parallels are not evident at first. Uh, Let's see. Go go to Proverbs 12 and 15. Proverbs 12 and 15, right quick. What does this say? It says, fools think their own way is right. But the wise listen to others. Okay? Okay? Read it out loud. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise will listen to others. Okay? Basically, it says a wise man listens to advice and a fool doesn't. Now, I want to ask you a question. You say, well, Pastor, uh, you know, what kind of application would that have for me? I want to ask you a question. When did you make a decision and choice that you end up blowing in your face because you refused to get wise counsel before you made the decision? How many times have you thought, I got this? I'm on top of this without seeking wise counsel. The Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There are times, guys, when we have to make choices and decisions that we need to seek wise, godly counsel. Can you think of an area or time where you didn't seek wise counsel? And you acted as if you were foolish because fools think their own way is right. 
but the wise listen to others. Okay, so 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 we got to make sure, you know, that that as we look at these past of scripture, let's develop a parallel. What does this truth mean for me? And what are my areas of need, conviction, and opportunity? And where in my life might this truth possibly apply? Okay, what where in my life might this truth possibly apply? Okay, all right. So uh, let's go to the next step: priorities. So we, we, we bring it to the present. We look at the parallels. What does truth mean for me? Where are my areas of need, conviction, opportunity? And where in my life might this truth possibly apply? Now, this step involves looking at how we should change on the inside in order to change on the outside. Most people, probably 95% of people who come to church, come with the idea and the mindset that I'm going to do something different. And we think transformation is an outside process. But true biblical transformation, lasting transformation is an inside out process. We work out our soul salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is on the inside because change took place in our spirit man. And when that change that took place in our spirit man, we are a new creature in Christ. And when we begin to grow inwardly, it begins to show up outwardly. How many of you know it's tough to lose weight trying to do it from the outside in? How many of you know that there are people who've gotten lap band surgeries, but because they didn't get inward change, they busted the band. I mean, it happens over and over again. As a matter of fact, nowadays, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong if you got any medical people here, I don't think they will do that surgery for you until you, first of all, go through a course to try to change you on the inside. Am I right about it? They know because experience has taught them that you can do that surgery and that for a while, if you do that lap band surgery, it, you know, it, it basically puts a band around your stomach and shrink it. And so, so only so much can get in there when they initially do it. But if you keep feeding and overheating because you didn't get a transformation on the inside. You're used to eating as much as you used to eat. And somewhere in the back of your mind, that, that thought process is still there. Over a period of time, guess what happens? You spend all that money and wasted it. And you're just as big as you were or bigger than you were before. It happens all the time. True biblical transformation is an inside out process. Go to Romans 12. Come on, hurry, hurry. Romans 12. Got to move you. Man, my time is going. See, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay. Y'all there? Y'all know this, don't you? Let's read it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them, what is them? Your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice to kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Look at verse 2. Come on, watch this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't do life the way your cousin Nim do life. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world system, but let, everybody say let. Let God, let God, let implies that I have a part to play in this. 
people, stop going around saying, God, make me love my enemy. God ain't going to make you do nothing. Because he made you a free moral agent. He can, if he made you, you would, you would not be a free moral agent with the, with, 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 the, with the ability to choose. If God had wanted to, he would have made, made it such that Adam and Eve couldn't have chosen to eat of the fruit. Right? But he gave us choice. Right? He says, don't copy the behavior and cuss of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. How's he going to do that? By doing what? How's he going to do that? How, by what? How's he going to transform you and me into new people? By changing the way we think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So God is going to change us by the way he's going to transform us from copying the behavior and customs world by changing the way we think internally. As our thinking changes, the word of God gets down in our heart. And then now we begin to experience outward transformation. You're a free moral agent. See, here's what you got to understand. God wants you to love him. Because you know him. And you know how much he loves you. God doesn't want you to serve him because he made you serve him. He wants you to do it freely and he will never make you make you do it. Because he made you. It it would be like this. How many (laughs) y'all have used that before? How many y'all let me see how I put this. How many of y'all sitting here want somebody to be with you or love you because if you don't, if they don't love you, you're going to put a gun in their head and shoot them? I, mean, I know that seems a little vain. It seems a little rough. But think about it for a second. You don't want somebody to love you or to be with you because you put pressure on them to do it or they fear for their life. You want them to be with you because they want to be with you. Am I right? And the same God, God, God gave us a choice. Whosoever will let him come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? John 3.16. That whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have what? But you got to choose to believe. You got to accept. And so God wants us to get to the point to where we make him such a priority that, that, that we understand that he, you know, he becomes the preeminent person in our life such that we are pursuing him with all our heart, mind, and soul because we want to, because we understand him. When you understand the, the, the depths and the, the awesomeness of God's love for us and how even when we mess up royally, he's doing everything in his power to bring us back in his presence. Although he, can't, he won't make us, he will orchestrate the circumstance to get us to look back toward him, right? 
But God wants us to come to him because we understand his love and we desire that love. All right, so priorities, 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 okay? So don't copy the behavior because of the world, but let God transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and purpose. To help examine the implications of biblical truth for our priorities, we can ask these questions. How should I adjust my priorities? Now, let, 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 me, let me say this, and I'm going to say it real, I'm going to say it loud and clear. Your priorities will reveal themselves. I don't care what you say here on Sunday. I don't care what you say here on Wednesday. Your priorities will reveal themselves in what you do. Right? There are some people whose priority is to watch their favorite show on Wednesday. Even though they could record it and go back and look at it, they want to see it right when it comes on. So they don't make midweek Bible class because it's, it interrupts their priorities. Hello? There, there, there are people who allow sports to be their priority. Hello? They'll miss work. They'll miss church for a sporting event. Pay good money. And ain't nothing wrong with going to a sport. I, I go to sporting events. I love sports. But sports cannot be my priority, number one priority. Did y'all hear me? Shopping should not be your number one priority such that you shop so much that you can't give your tithes and offerings. Because you took God's tithe and went to Dillard's. And there you are wearing a tithe dress. That's the Lord's money. I don't know what I can. It's kind of like this. Watch this. Watch this. If, if somebody owes you some money, let's say somebody owes you five hundred dollars, and they come back from taking their kids and the family on a vacation to Disney World in Florida and telling you how great their vacation was. Guess what? They went to Disney World on your money. Because you know it cost them something to get there. They flew down there. They rental cars. They had to stay out there for three or four days to see all of Disney World. Stay with the Disney World on your money. And we do it to God all the time. Some of us are riding in God, on God's money. God owns it all, you understand. But he told us to bring the tithe and offer the stuff. But we, we say we can't tithe because we put another priority before God. Do it all the time. All right? Tithe dress. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so, so, so watch it. Okay. Uh, so how do, the question, how do I adjust my priorities? What should I change about my values, beliefs, attitudes, or character? Every time you come to church, when you get to this step, you ought to be asking that. What about my thoughts and motives should change? What kind of person does God want me to become? All right. Go to John 13 with me right quick. John 13. Come on. Verse 12 through 15 right quick. John 13, verse 12 through 15. Let's read it. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. Now watch this. If you read that, how does that 
applied to you today? Are you going to go around washing people's feet? How, how do we bring it into the present? Somebody give me, give me some help here. All right. We, who, who are the people in this? Who are the people? Jesus what? And his disciples, right? What's happening? What's the plot? What, what's the, okay, this comes on the heels right of them, them, them having a discussion about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now think about this for a second, guys. Jesus is preparing to extend, to go back up into heaven and leave these boys here to carry on the gospel message. But they're sitting there thinking, well, I mean, in this kingdom, I want to know, who, can I sit on the right hand? Can, I, can you sit on the left hand? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? All right? Who's going to be large and in charge? Who's going to be big balling, shot calling when we get to heaven? And what Jesus says is, listen, I, I, I got to show you something. So he goes into this, 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 this object lesson here by girding himself and washing the disciples' feet. So, so, so again, all right, all right, so if you were to take that, let's bring it to modern day term. Now, we don't, uh, we don't come in here and wash feet on Sunday. Feet. <laughs> don't say feet. Feet, feet is plural. You don't add an S to it. And you don't say foot seat, okay? <laughs> Just a little English lesson, okay? But <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't customarily wash feet, do we? Now, in the church you grew up in, when they did the Lord's Supper, what would they do? They would wash feet. All right? But let, let's bring that to, to my return. What, what's, what's the, how do we apply this to our life today? What are some lessons? How can we bring this to our present? What are some principles? Uh, what, what are some, 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 some parallels that we can bring into our life today? What, what are some of the things, what are some priorities that we can begin to take and put this in our life? How many of y'all, if, if we were to just right now say, okay, take your feet off, take your shoes off, I want to wash your feet. How many of y'all would be like, oh, no, 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 I got bunions on my toes. Oh, no, my feet been sweating all day. I, ain't, I don't want nobody to touch my feet. How many of y'all would get uncomfortable if we had a foot washing service right now? <laughs> Sean, Sean looking like, ain't nobody touching my feet. <laughs> no, but, but, but that's what Peter started to do, right? But Jesus is teaching humility because some people come to church and they they the big dog at work or they got the title, they're the vice president, they're overseer over this. And when they come into the church, they, 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 they have trouble serving because they think that title comes with them to church. So so this he's talking about humility. He was showing them in order to go up. You got to go down first. You got to bend down in humility God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to them. Last step, okay? All right, so again, number eight was what? Priorities. Specifically in your own individual life. When you leave, when you left here on Sunday, I pray that you went home and started thinking about how can I get to know myself better? How can I address some, some wounds from my past that I haven't ever even had to even, I hadn't even thought about that I had one. I hadn't even thought about why it is that I, I, I have trouble expressing 
myself? How, why is it that I'm fearful about this? Or why is it that, that, that I'm, I act this way uh, when I'm around people? Or why is it that, that, that I respond the way I respond? Okay? You, you start, take, take the word and begin to say, how does this apply to my life? So last, the plan. One wise person once says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I don't know who that was, but I think there's that's some truth in that. A lot of truth in that. Okay? So, so when you leave here on Sundays and the word comes forth, I want you to begin to go through this biblical pyramid process. Stepping up to read first and then get comprehension and then come back down to application. Know what it said. Don't just leave it full of word, knowing what about knowing these principles of the word of God and knowing Bible doctrine. But don't apply this stuff. When you leave here, we, we got to get to a point where we applying it in our specifically in our own lives. The last step in the Bible study process is actually doing what God has told us to do. We put truth into practice by determining to change and then making plans to live differently. The planning skills that we use in other areas of life can prove helpful in this step right here. Planning involves selecting a goal, breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, and getting going. All right? So to help us plan, we can ask these questions. What does God want me to do about what I learned? Now, I want, I want y'all to be, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of y'all seriously each Sunday leave, and before you ever eat Sunday dinner, start thinking about, what does God want me to learn from that lesson today? How can I specifically apply that in my life? Okay. What steps will get me to that goal? What should be my first step? How can I get started? There are two types of plans. There are intentional plans and there are conditional plans. Intentional plans are step-by-step guides for taking action. They're similar to strategies, plans, or lists that people use to accomplish specific tasks and goals. One of the things that I've uh, you know, I'm trying to get better at it. My wife oftentimes coaches me on is, is, you know, when I'm when I'm working throughout the day, I can be a spontaneous person. I can be working on one thing. <laughs> you may call it ADD. I don't call it. I say spontaneous. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on one thing and, I've, I've, and something comes up. Well, something uh, Monica, somebody may say, well, this is broke over here. I'll stop doing what I'm doing. and I go try to fix what I just heard about. Any of y'all do that? And um, and then I'll, I'll jump back and, and I'll come back and I do this in the phone or ring and I'll start talking about it on the phone and, and the issue there, I'll start jumping on that. And so she said, one of the things you got to do is you got to get you a, a, a list, a to-do list and prioritize what you want to accomplish for that day. I, and again, you know, we, 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 she's laughing at me because I, I struggle with that sometimes. I'm, I'm kind of a free bird when it comes to that. But, but ultimately, I get stuff done, but you know, I could probably be a lot more efficient. Brother Carl, you hear me? I, I could be a lot more efficient by having my list and, 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 and charging and attacking that list. You know, even when it comes to the Word of God, when, it, when, it, when we find out what the Word says about whatever, then we got we to gotta plan to do so with their intentional plans, listing, okay? Uh, for example, and I said this earlier, if someone was serious about trying to lose weight, he or she would probably, you know, design a weight reduction plan. That would involve exercise and diet, right? Everybody say exercise and diet. Okay? Um, you know, any number of things that you would want to do, okay? Uh, so, uh, uh, so, 
those are those are intentional plans. You, you, you write it down. You say, this is what I'm going to do. Intentional plans contain action steps that are within your control. OK, an intentional plan. Uh, you know, you list. OK, this is what I'm going to do. I've, I've been having trouble with this. So here's what I'm going to do. Step one, two and three. OK. And, and conditional plans are anticipated responses to situations that might arise. Some stuff you ought to think about before you ever get into it. Okay? Certain stuff you ought to to think, here's how I'm going to respond if this happens. Right? Jesus even said, if if someone uh, hits you, turn the other cheek, right? Is that what he said? All right? That means don't try to bring it to modern day turn. I I see some of y'all right now. See, y'all thinking about the slap. But really what Jesus was saying is bring it to modern day terms. Most of the time people aren't going around slapping us, but people may be doing stuff to us that's unpleasant and we turn around and do something unpleasant to them. Okay? Conditional plans. In other words, uh, something like this. Uh, if I can't find a parking place near the store, then I'm going to use the parking garage that's two blocks away and I'm not going to park in the handicapped parking spot. Even though I got the handicap sticker that I carry in my truck when Mama Kirk is with me, I can put it in the window and park in the handicapped parking spot, but I'm the only one in the truck and I ain't handicapped. See, that, that just, I believe some of y'all have been doing that. Before you ever get there, make up in your mind that I'm not going to be illegal and park in the handicapped parking spot. If the lot is full, I'll park in the adjacent lot a block away. You got to know that before you get there. If a, if a fine sister begins to make advances at me at work, and I know she's making advances because you know when somebody know you, who know that you know that they're telling you you can be with me if you want to be with me. Make up in your mind before that happens. If that happens, I'm going to run like Paul says. <laughs> Paul says flee fornication, right? Decide before you ever get there. If this happens, here's what I'm going to do. Don't wait till you get into the moment, in the heat of the moment, to my well, I, I, I make up my mind. And no, you don't make up your mind then. No, no. You have it already made up before you get there. Now, we try to decide when somebody's blowing in your ear. That's an inside joke. So, plan. Everybody say plan to put the word in action. So, intentional plans, and we have conditional plans. The Bible study pyramid is a step by step process for generating personal applications from the Bible. So you climb up one side, you read, okay, then you comprehend, you're at the top, you comprehend it, and then we come back down so we can apply that stuff. All right? So I want you to go back to that. We're out of time, but here's your, here's your assignment. Last week, we did uh, Acts 27, 27 through 44. When you get home, go through and read that whole 27 chapter, Okay? And I want you to go through and, and, and come back on next week. We'll talk about the, the present, the parallels, the priorities, and the plan that you come up with in your own individual study. Okay? Y'all got that? Everybody with me? Okay, give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.